Welcome to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Now here's your Lighthouse Council host. Hello, welcome to The Beacon Podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. I'm Kathy Gaston, your host for today's discussion on the essential skill of relationship building for nonprofit leaders and fundraisers. Our guest is Dick Horton, past president of the Tennessee Golf Foundation. Welcome, Dick, and thank you for being with us today. Delighted. Looking forward to it. Dick served for 35 years as the executive director of both the Tennessee Golf Association and the Tennessee section of the Professional Golf Association of America. He was one of the first 15 full-time PGA section executive directors in the United States and gained national attention by bringing together golf's formerly competitive and often contentious factions, professional and amateur golfers. As executive director of both organizations, Dick secured enormous donations that allowed him to create a single golf complex called Golf House Tennessee to put all of the state's collective golf operations under one roof. Dick, it's great to have you here today for what I know is really going to be a useful discussion for our listeners. So Dick, uh, let's start. I've known you I guess over 35 years, and I've watched you grow this organization. So let's just start by, I want to ask you, you've met and made many friends with some very popular and prominent philanthropists over the years. Share with our uh, listeners how you make and nurture those relationships. Well, uh, Kathy, I would say the first thing is understanding that the industry I'm in is in the golf industry and golf administration. So, uh, that those are the people I related to initially, and golf uh, has it's a widespread interest of people, but um, it lends itself to high-end elite private clubs with high net worth individuals, as well as the average everyday person uh, that likes to play the game. So I, I think to find and develop relationships, I did not start out as a development officer for sure. I was a golf administrator, did golf tournaments. Just our whole objective was to to grow the game because every everything improves if there are more people playing more golf. As we got into our business, we realized that we needed our own golf course. We needed a place to teach. We needed to focus on youth and we needed a home. And so for us, the cause was we had to understand who we were and what our cause was, which we did. And then I think that several of the ways we located and connected to, to high net worth individuals, certainly your board of directors know who people are that would be interested in whatever your charitable mission is and where they're located and make those kind of introductions to those people to start building a relationship. And I think that was key. Another part, since I was not a development officer by trade, is, is that I I knew we needed I knew we needed to have development probably somewhere around beginning in 1991, but a lot more substantially in 1993. So I, I needed to know why we needed development. And then I needed to also understand that I didn't know it very much at all about development, but I needed to find mentors who did know about it. So I joined our this organization, PPP, which is a group of professional development people, a lot of university people, private schools, uh, churches who all have development programs and 
just absorb as much as I could and make some friendships in those. And, and I think out of those friendships became mentors. Uh, certainly there was a major gifts, a longtime executive at Vanderbilt, who was a really good friend, became a really good friend, actually knew uh, my wife growing up. And uh, he was a tremendous help in understanding the whole proposition of how you go about development and building relationships. So I think with with those, with the networking from the board, with finding mentors on how to be a development officer, that's what started. And then I think the, the key to relationships for me was very early on learning to listen. I like to talk a lot, too much pretty often, but I needed to listen to what people had interest in what our mission was. And I think all of the nonprofits have multiple missions, but there are probably five or six things that they concentrate on, whether it's education, whether it's faith-based, whether it's university. So you would have to find out by listening to these individuals what really interested them, in my case, in golf. And for example, it would be, um, I want to see kids without the, the means to be able to play and learn golf. Equipment's expensive, playing golf is expensive. So I want to help support so any child that has an interest can learn to play. And then there were some that said, well, uh, I like the core values of the game of golf, the nine core values, honesty, integrity, keeping score, being your own rules official, perseverance, it's a hard game to play. So they would let you know usually pretty early on what their genuine interest was. And then it was up to to me to say, I fully support what you would want to do. We do that. And then talk about ways that we could meet their expectations. And talking about it versus doing it, I think one of the early things that I really realized was that you had to have complete integrity in doing fundraising And if you promised something and said you were going to do something, you needed to do it. And if you couldn't do it, you needed to call and talk to the person, not text them, not email them, but explain why things were either progressing nicely or were were having difficulty challenging it. And I think the personal relationships and the honesty and the integrity and staying in touch with people is somewhat of a lost art. You know, how much mail do you get every day asking you for a contribution to some cause that you, it's okay, but you don't even know them and they don't know you and off your money goes and you just hope it lands somewhere where you want it to. And I think that was one of the keys. And then I was taught early on by a mentor that these these people will, if they give you an audience, they give you a meeting, they're expecting, they know why you're coming to see them. And you're going to ask them to support your cause. And how do you do that? And and it's by the way that if you were very genuinely interested in talking to them, that shows if you're just, if they're just a number on a list as high net worth people, then they made a mistake by letting you even come in to talk to them. And so if you, if you gained the appointment, you needed to show that, the respect and the honor and the thanks for the, them even talking to you about what you're you're doing. And uh, so those are, I think, some of the things. And then they have friends and you meet their friends eventually. Uh, golf is pretty good for 
uh, well, why don't you come and play and we'll talk about it. You know, most of you can't do that at church and say, well, meet me at the back pew and we'll pray before we talk about a gift. Um, yeah. So I had some good advantages there. And, and then I also really had some wonderfully generous people. For us, um, family foundations were, were an important part. Um, we were the people that had family foundations really controlled their, their giving. Whereas if you were on a board of a grant-related group, that's a different way to go about things, et cetera. So I, that's a long answer to, to your question of how did you connect to these people. But I think, think it's a relevant part for anybody in development to do that things that way. And you're such a good people person and people relate to you well, because like you said, listening is so important. And those of us in development, we don't always want to listen. We want to tell what we need instead of listening to what someone wants to support. Can you think of um, any advice that any of these mentors or great supporters gave you that helped you in your career? Well, I, I would say I was thinking about that before today. And, uh, and so I called my original mentor from Vanderbilt and because part of my new assignment as an advisor is to talk about legacy gifts with people my age and the old timer, so to speak. And I asked him any helpful hints on that. And he said, you always start by asking the donor what he or she wants. And another mentor told me, just pretend the person you're talking to has the has the has the letters written on their forehead w a i t which means let them talk let them talk and talk and talk more and then he said you had the tm squared attitude which is when they finish tell me more and i thought boy that's really pretty good and um you know then then you would you would tell the person what their gift will do and and how it will make a difference and you you probably need to know that they're very interested in in their local junior program and their grandchildren and Tennessee pride and being the best state in the country for junior golf for for boys or for girls but to understand how if they made a gift what explain how the what the difference that would make and then he said you know, you've got $23 million in your endowment. And somebody may say, well, man, you're doing good. You really don't need my help. And then he, he said, well, just understand and know in your mind that if you double that endowment, what is, what's the difference? What's that going to make? And so you would tell the, the individual, you know, with your additional gift of $3 million, we, we will have 10 more programs in Memphis. We'll have two more teachers full-time. We'll be able to go to four other facilities because right now they charge too much and we'll have the money to do that. And we're going to get into the school system in Memphis. And that's a big deal. And we've got an access to do it. We just don't have the ability. It's going to take 23 sets of training equipment for PE teachers to have a $3,000 full set of training equipment that the the PE teachers can use. And by the way, we have trained the PE teachers to teach as well. That's what your gift will do to us. Right now, we don't have that. So finding out what they want, 
telling them what their gift, what a difference it'll make and bring it right home to them. And, and then also close by saying, uh, you know, I hope I'm going to be here a long time. And so are you, but I'm going to let you know every year how we're doing. And I'll tell you if we're not doing good or if we have any hurdles or challenges. And I may even say, Kathy, we, that first million was great, but we need another million because we've got so much interest in it. These kids love what we're teaching and they're not getting it at home, et cetera. So I think those are the kinds of things that I would share with any development officer that out there in the field for their mission. Well, you mentioned legacy giving, Dick. How important was legacy giving to your organization? And did that start after you built Golf House or was it ongoing from the very beginning with legacy giving? Well, that's a good question because initially we did not start out. We needed we needed development monies right away. And but then I could see through meetings that I would go to how important legacy giving was. And then it really caught my attention when one of our speakers said, in the next 12 years, there's going to be a transition of wealth like we've never seen in the time of the world. There's going to be money exchanging hands to the next generation. And that, that you need to take this legacy giving very seriously. And so while I'm thinking about this, all of a sudden, three gifts in one year come in from from an estate gift, a will. They were great donors. They were friends of ours. We knew who they were. And all of a sudden, we get a call and and we're getting a gift of $450,000 and from an estate. And boy, that makes a huge difference when you're a small shop like, like we were or are. And um, so... I think right now I'm serving as an advisor to the chairman and the chairman, this is my third year. And the chairman said, okay, it's time to get serious about legacies. And he said, that's what you need to do this year. And so I'm trying to get my notes together and reach back out to my mentors. But the good news is I I know everybody I need to go and see. And I will, I want to say, stay tuned. We'll see. But they're tremendously important because the vi- the size of those gifts, and I think you can't forget that you need the those people who have made commitments to you. You need to stay in touch with them and not just wait till the inevitable and just let them know. You know, Kathy Marbot, we are so glad that you're going to be participating in our legacy program. And hey, we had a great year last year. Here's our report, et cetera, et cetera. So all of that, again, I think is relationships showing genuine interest and do not leave out legacy gifts as being too far down the road. I love one of our members called them expectancies. And I thought that was a great, it was a YMCA development leader. She was fabulous. And she talked about her focus on expectancies and said in one year, her focus was on that and, and there was $10 million raised in expectancies. And even though you don't have all of that money, you don't have any of that money in hand, it's a pretty good chance unless you really goof up that that's going to, that is eventually going to really support and be a big major gift to your organization. So legacy giving, do not put it on the back burner. It, it needs to be front and center and serious and be intentional about it. 
And I think it's important what you mentioned about staying in touch with those people who have made known to you that they are going to do a legacy gift and not just say, oh, good, they've signed up and I'll hear from them when their will is probated. So there needs to be that constant communication with people to keep them interested because all of us have so many different charitable organizations we can support. You want to keep your organization in the front of their mind. Right. And and I think that's a that's a great point. That's a promise. And you got to do your side to make sure that, you know, your friends know what you're doing and why that's still important to them, because you're you're right. That is not a you know, those change and, and they and sometimes they change rightly so. Child gets sick with a disease that you never thought they'd have. And all of a sudden you want you lose your child and you want that organization that's trying to beat that disease to get help. And it's more important to do that than than golf. And, and you know, ours, our, our sport, I've often told most people, we're not, we're not ever going to rank in the first five on importance in your list. But, you know, if we're, you know, you've got your faith, your family, probably your church, your college, but you know what? Golf was pretty important to you all throughout your life. And you had a lot of enjoyment from it and your children, your grandchildren do. So if we can be included that we'd be honored to do that at whatever, whatever priority we are for you. And uh, that's usually a pretty compelling because you know who you're talking to and you know how long they mm-hmm. played golf. And and so I think that's, yeah, that's a good point. Stay, stay in touch. And, you know, this, this podcast today is helping me remember I need to get back and, and make some of those calls too. I'm overdue. Yeah. Well, Dick, it's interesting to me that you started out this organization with $3,500 back in um, 1973. So when you started this, what made you think you could grow it? I know the story of it starting out on a card table in your dining room. What gave you that vision that you could grow this organization? I think it was one, my my initial visit was with the golf professionals and I didn't know any of them. I'd never even been in the state of Tennessee, but these were all really sharp people at, you know, at the high level elite clubs. And they said, um, we don't know what we want to do, but whatever you tell us to do, we're going to do. And so I thought I could succeed because these people said, you got a blank slate and we're we're on we're riding in the back of the bus and we're with you. We're going to do what we're going to do what you want us to do, you know, as long as it's it's reasonable. So I, I thought I could succeed because I had an organization that wanted to be successful. And uh, and as you know, in, in these board seats that they were sitting on, they were unpaid. You know, they had to take their own time, which they didn't have a lot of to be involved. And and so I just felt, you know. My whole time was to make them be successful. And I thought, you know, if if, an er, if early on I said, let's do these three things and nobody raised their hand to support them, I'd have probably moved on to something else. But boy, they jumped in and I think they still do today. So it, it was the work ethic and the the belief that the that our organization had in themselves and their cause that made me think, if I if I can't I don't need to mess this up. These guys are ready and willing to go, and we did. So, I think a willingness. Your board has to be all in, and not just passing through. 
Well, you obviously have been successful. You are a member of the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame, and you are a member of the golf, Tennessee Golf Hall of Fame. So you obviously have been extremely successful and not only well thought of in this community, but nationally and internationally, people have copied your program. So I, I know that you have been very successful. Dick, this has been an enlightening discussion. I'm so thrilled that you were able to share your time with us today. And to our listeners, you can learn more about Dick, who Tennessee sports writer Joe Rexrod called the godfather of Tennessee golf, which I love that. But go to Dick's Wikipedia page as well as connect with him on LinkedIn, and you can share in some of his success stories. Thank you again, Dick. I appreciate you spending time with us today. Thanks, Kathy. Have a good day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Tune in every week for nonprofit topics with special guest interviews. Suggest future topics and learn more about upcoming podcasts and guests at lighthousecouncil.com.